Authenticity. How many believe authenticity is key to the future of what we're being called to? Authentic followers of Jesus. Uh, I want to tell you this. It sounds simple, but I think it's incredibly profound. The way to authenticate that you're a follower of Jesus. You ready? Follow Jesus. You don't have to put on your Twitter feed you're a follower of Christ. You don't have to tell people you're a follower of Jesus. That doesn't make you one. The best way to prove and authenticate and be authentic is follow Jesus. Let me ask you, are you following Jesus? Not do you talk to him, not do you love him, not do you say, are you following Christ? Missions is not going somewhere, it's following someone. Follow Christ. Matthew 16, verse 13, it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? Who are people saying Jesus is? He asked that question. They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Do you know, that's still the answer to many people out there would say that if you ask them that question today in America. Who was Jesus? Who is Jesus? Great prophet, great moral teacher, a rabbi, a good dude who did some good stuff. But the unfortunate thing is that some of the church still believes that. It's very hard to represent Christ if that's who you believe he is. It's very hard to show Christ and be authentic if that's our revelation of Jesus. And so Jesus asked that question, what are they saying about me? And that was the response. And then he moves the question to these disciples, to his followers. He said, but what about you? Verse 15, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living. You're the living God. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. Isn't it wonderful that Peter had a revelation of who Jesus is. And he knew who Christ was. Even as a follower of Jesus, he had this great revelation. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. I tell you, friends, it's an incredible revelation to know. And we need to live with that, as I said earlier, this ongoing revelation. I've listened to the church present Christ and Christianity as an ideology. And I'm going to tell you this, there's no authenticity in an ideology, and it's very hard to serve an ideology or even a teaching. We are not about an ideology. We're not about a moralistic gospel, which I said earlier. We are about the revealed Messiah. It's so much easier to serve and honor and worship Christ, knowing He's alive and well, not some teaching we hang on to. We can't teach a teaching and think people hang in there. We need the revealed Messiah, and that's what this is about. As Karl Barth, who's a, a theologian, said this, and the Word became flesh, and theologians made it words again. The Word became flesh. Let's keep Christ as a revealed Messiah, not some teaching, some dear teaching, some, some truth that we make laws and regulations in the name of Christ. But you are the revealed Messiah, the revelation. And Jesus goes on and he says this, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. That was not revealed to you by man. You didn't get that revelation by a man. That revelation has come, not by man, but by my Father in heaven. 
See, I have said this many times, and I'm convinced that God is still in the business, if I can say it like that, God is still in the business of revealing Christ to His church. And while the world needs to see Jesus, and while this nation needs a revelation of Christ, God wants the church to live in that revelation, because when we have that revelation, that's who the world will see. Blessed are you, Jesus said, if you have this revelation of me. Blessed are you, son of Jonah, for that didn't come to you by flesh and blood, by a man, by people, but by my Father in heaven. In verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, and then Jesus begins to present again a church living in victory, a church storming the gates. Friends, it's not a surviving church. It's not a church hoping and hanging in there and hoping for the return, a church walking in the things God has, but it's built on the revelation of Christ. Do you see that? It's amazing. Jesus didn't talk to his disciples about the church until they understood who he was. And when they said, you are Christ, he said, now let me tell you who you are. And that's why this whole thing is wrapped up in that truth still. We want to know who we are. We've got to know who Christ is. And the revelation of the church is built on this foundation. And the church Jesus is building is centered around Christ Jesus, this great king, who that's who the world is looking for. America needs Jesus not a great church. The world as it worst needs the church at its best. It's not let's put on and be better. It's let's get revelation of Christ and reveal Christ. That's when the church is at its best. Can you say amen to that? You know, this devil's got a strategy and many strategies, but his is to lull the church into this religious system where it's about laws and duties and regulations. Death, there's no life in it. Get your eyes off Jesus. Get on with the task of being good and trying to be good and tell people to be good. And friends, we just begin to nullify the power of Christ, become about laws and regulations, and do better and be better. It can't happen. When you keep your eyes on Jesus, there's life. We're not an institution. We are a people called out to serve the purpose of God in this season. And it's so easy. I'm amazed how many people have become religious, even in our ranks. The very thing we set out to fight, we become. And here's the one reason why. I believe it's when your relationship with Jesus is lost, you become religious instantly. It's based on a relationship. That's it. You lose your relationship with Jesus, it becomes about everything but Christ. Guess what you become? Religious. Christendom rather than Christianity. There. Illustration I've used in others with Leonardo da Vinci. I still think it's a great one where he drew, he painted this incredible picture, and it was kind of his crown of his creation, as it was. The the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, and he painted this 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 three and a half years apparently it took him to paint. How many of you have seen the picture? The original one, actually, Jesus was holding a cup in his hand. And they say that before he revealed this, he called his friends. And three and a half years of painting this Last Supper, he called some of his friends to come and have a look at this painting. And they showed up and they began to be mesmerized by this cup. And one of his friends kept saying, gee, the cup in the hand of Jesus, that is so attractive. I'm drawn to that. When Leonardo da Vinci finally took his paintbrush and began to paint over the cup. And his friend said, what are you doing? And he said, nothing must distract from the figure of Christ. And in Jesus' hands, in that painting, hands are empty. Why? 
Because we put things in place, good things, God things, in the place of Christ. We must never allow, friends, our people to be captivated by other stuff, even our ministry, our duty, our call, our preaching. Let them be mesmerized by Christ because who you love is who you'll talk about. Who we sing about. I'm challenging you guys to write more songs about Jesus than us. Talk more about Christ than us, captivated by Jesus, yeah? Secondly, and this is a challenging, and I'm going to step on toes, and I hope we do. Not because we are aggressive, because we've got a job to do in this season. But the second thing I want to highlight is this, is that a church that is Christ-centered is a church, please hear this, that cooperates with Christ. Now, everyone in this room would say, yeah, we do do that. But let, let me just challenge us, if I can, for a moment. There is a book that I haven't read, but I've heard all about it. It's almost like I've read it, but I refuse to read it. And it's a book called The Five Love Languages. Have you heard about it? Gary Chapman wrote a book. And let me tell you, it is global. I've been in Paris. They tell me it's written in French. I was in, in, uh, in Holland, and it's in Dutch. It's in African. It's in every language possible. So you have read it. Just confess. You know what I... I've heard the church preaching on this when it comes to evangelism. How many of you have read the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman? Oh, no, please. How many of you have got the book but haven't read it? How many of your husbands and wives have handed it to you and said, please read this? But the, the, the kind of basis for this man who wrote this book is that there are five love languages he identifies. And what he says is this, this language, uh, the love language of touch, the one of service, the one of gifts, the one of words and the one of time. All five, I believe. Now, I've just said to Nicole, I don't need to read that book because I'm all five, all right? I, I, don't, I am. And it's in the Bible, fivefold ministry. I need the fivefold ministry. So give me all five and I'm good to go, right? So, but what he says is that most of us, if you're married, this is what he says, you would love your spouse with your love language, but it's not necessarily theirs. So my wonderful wife, and I'm telling you, she's a great lady, she's wonderful, but she has a different love language to me. Now, I'm all five, I've said that, right? But if I have to choose one, let me choose one called gifts. I like gifts, I'm being honest. If you want to bless me, just give me money so I can buy my own gift. But, <laughs> but I do like gifts, okay? That's, so here's what I do. Because I love my wife, I want to express love to her. I go buy her a gift. Now, let me just tell you this. The more expensive the gift, in my opinion, the more I love her. Right? The more I spend on her, the more it shows. Because this is my gift. Love her. So I arrive there with this gift, and I say, babe, I bought this for you. Now, this is my, my wife. Her gift, her love language is not gifts. So she'll say to me, thank you so much. What did you pay for this? Now, the more I paid, the more mad she is because she's got coupons. We can get it cheaper somewhere else. Where did you buy this? Have you got the receipt? Can we take it back? You there? And I'm getting offended. Seriously, because I'm like, geez, babe, I'm trying to... And she feels blessed because she knows it's my love language, but she's not feeling loved by my love language. Nicole, unfortunately, is very practical. Her love language is I must pack the dishwasher. Seriously, she's into, the more I serve her by packing the dishwasher, so I've got three sons who I'm teaching how to pack the dishwasher, and we, but it, she's told me it doesn't work, so 
We do it when she doesn't know. So, but the point being, friends, is I buy myself gifts and she packs the dishwasher and we're happy and I feel loved. It's called loving yourself, yeah. I say that because I want to tell you this. Jesus has a love language. And how many of you believe you love Jesus? Put your hand up, please. Can I keep your hand up if you believe Jesus knows you love him? You all do, right? Well, I say, well, how do you know that he knows it? Well, we spent the last 45 minutes before I got up to preach telling Jesus how awesome he is. We got up this morning and we worshipped and honor. We listened to, we, we, we can claim all these wonderful things and they're all good and right, friends. But actually, Jesus made it clear. This is his love language. He said in John chapter 14, verse 15, this is what Jesus said. If you love me, you will obey me. So let me ask you again. How many of you know that Jesus... How many of you believe that Jesus knows you love him by his love language? I think I could be, maybe. You know, friends, I can honestly say this. I can honestly say this. Jesus is the passion of my life. But when it comes to this truth, I'm challenged. Because I tell Jesus daily, all the time, I'm always telling him how awesome he is, how much I love him. I'm always telling my wife how much I love Jesus, my kid. But let me tell you, when it comes to this obedience thing, that's his love language. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you do not love me, he says, you will not obey me. In actual fact, I believe it's the heart of the Great Commission. And we've been preaching the Great Commission since I was born. My dad was all about Great Commission. I was born into this thing 40-something years ago about the Great Commission. But I've never really thought of it till I got this revelation that actually it's the heart of the Great Commission. All authority in heaven has been given to me. Now go and make disciples of all nations. And this is great. And teaching them to obey. Teaching them to love me. Now, there's not a person, I'm sure, in this room who has not heard a message on obedience. And I want to tell you, I've been raised in hearing messages on obedience. But here's what I want to say. When we hear about obedience, it's often this thing, we have to do something. I have to obey Jesus. He's not looking for have to. There's no love in that. And we, the church, teach people, you have to do this because Jesus said it. Jesus said it, so therefore you have to. Jesus doesn't want have to. He could have made have to. There's no love in have to. If I have to do the dishwasher, Nicole's not feeling loved. If it's her love language and it's a way of me expressing my love to her, in our packet, she feels love because it's something I choose to do, not I have to do. I'm not pulling at our emotional strings this morning, but this I can tell you, friends, if you have an obedience problem, it's because you have a love problem. It's not move from this place and go out there and do stuff because we have to. It's because I love you, Christ. The more I love you, the more I want to obey you. So it's not this heavy-handed. Perfect love casts out all fear. There's no perfect love in fear. We don't do stuff out of fear. We do stuff out of love. And I can honestly believe this. The more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we choose to obey Him. 
Are you there, friends? I can't make you fall in love with Christ, and you can't make me. The Holy Spirit has a responsibility and a role, I believe, to help us, but we've got to be willing and saying, Lord, it's not a feeling. It's a genuine response to, I love Jesus enough to obey Jesus. No, 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 guys, forgive me for saying this. Can you imagine just this front row having this revelation? Can you imagine an eldership or a pastoral team living just that? Can you imagine the impact that church would have by just the leaders having that heart to actually obey Christ at every level? Can you imagine a church, just a gathering of a few people, having that revelation and actually loving Christ enough to do what He says? Can you imagine this room, this group? Can you imagine your local church? Can you imagine your region? How different it would look if the church truly didn't do stuff because the pastors want them to. Don't feel obliged, but are so passionate. Can you imagine these young people in this room who are not told don't do this, but are under this revelation of Christ and growing my love for Christ. I'm not going to mess around with this girl because I love Christ. Not because I'm not allowed to, because I choose to love and obey Him out of my love. Now, I can lecture my children. I'm still their dad. But I don't want my kids doing stuff because their dad says. Honestly, it's not what my dad told me. And I'm saying, tell your girlfriend, I say, that's fine. But get to a place where, actually, I have a conviction enough to say, I love Jesus enough to obey what he said. If I'm a follower of Christ, forgive me, single people. If you're following Christ, your walk in your dating is going to be incredibly boring to the world. But it's not because you have to. It's because you love Christ. You're there. What about leaders? Move from singles, relaxed singles, married people. I love Christ. Therefore, I want to honor my wife. The Bible says that Husbands are to love their wives like Christ loved the church. Let me tell you, ladies, you've got it easy. You know how Christ loved the church? Gave his life for the church. And women, your law is to honor your husband. It's easy to honor when your husband loves you like Christ loves you, right? But we all have roles to play in this. But we don't do it because we have to because we read a book. We do it out of our love for Christ. Nations, church planting, cities, leaving family, all the stuff we do in this, the name for the king. It's not I do this begrudgingly. It's my love for Christ. I obey. I relocate. I plant. I'm part of. I don't hang into a church because I like the church. I'm there because God put me there. And until God moves me on, I want to be a blessing in that place. Are you there, friends? This stuff of I don't like the people. I don't like the church. I don't like NCMI. I'm going to go find who I like. Who put? It's not who you like. It's not. You've got to learn to love who you're with, right? But if Christ put you there, why would you disobey? And there's so many people. I'm relocating. I've got a better offer, a better job. I've got ministry potential. I don't have it in my church. So I'm out the door. Did you even bother to ask the one who you claim to love? Elders, pastors, leading church. I'm doing this series. Why? Because I feel they need to hear this. What did Christ say? People aren't giving, so I'm going to do a whole series on giving. Well, how about being led by the Spirit, not led by observation? Now, the worst time to speak on giving is when you need money. Because you're preaching out of need. 
rather than out of revelation. Are you there, friends? Whatever it be. So if I love Christ, then I need to obey Christ. If I love Christ as a leader, my hands are open to say anyone and everyone. Take them, send them. They're for the king. Even here am I. I'll go. See, there are some relocations God's wanting to do. And it's not because you're tired of the place or you dislike the place. It's because God has some plans for us to reach out and take some more cities. Who's going to go? Not me. Us. I'm very happy in Denver. I love this place. It's beautiful, as you can tell. It's a great place to live. But I can't say, well, because I'm happy, I'm staying here. I'm not. I came here because you moved me here. And when you say go, cheers. And I'm not looking to go. Are you with me? I'm not going to say I'm going, but if God says go, we go. We didn't come here for this place. We came here for Christ. I didn't relocate and leave my dad and mom with their illnesses here for this region. I'll be mad at this region. I didn't come here for you. I came here because Jesus motivated me and my love for Christ. And my kids relocated. And God's blessed us in obedience. But when you disobey, you can't be blessed. Are you there, friends? I feel like God's saying, I want my church back. And you know how? By loving Christ enough to obey Christ. And again, I'm not pulling at you saying, feel bad. Saying, if you've got an obedience problem, it's possibly a love problem. The way to fix that? Fall more in love with Jesus. Even when it comes to sin, guys. Can I just step on our toes? Because everyone in this room, don't tell me you don't sin. All of us face this daily. When I get told I'm not allowed to sin, or I'm not allowed to do something, you know what? I want to go and do it. And maybe it's the rebellion in me and God's dealing with it. But when you tell me you're not allowed to do this, the first thing I'm going to do is go and do it. When you tell me don't sin, you're not allowed to sin. It's not going to work. The Bible says, the church says, when you get the revelation of Christ, you don't want to sin anymore. You don't, friend. Not sin, sin is perfection. It's easier not to sin when you understand who Christ is in your world. Not the Christ of my pastor or my husband, or my parents. This Christ of my life is far more difficult to see. It is. It's not impossible. It's more difficult. Would you agree? An amazing thing, if you just get sidetracked for a moment. I think someone made reference, I think, somewhere. But you look at a man like David. How many of you believe David was a good king? I mean, the greatest king other than Christ. That's what the Bible says. Greatest Israel, king of Israel. Do you know, God didn't choose David because he had a good heart. There's no such thing as a good heart according to the Bible. God chose David because he was a man after God's own heart. In other words, he had God's heart. And so you know the story, I think, I hope you know it, where, where, Samuel, uh, uh, where Saul was called king, he was chosen. He was God's choice, friends. He wasn't man's choice. God chose Saul to be king of Israel. But Saul messed up, which shows us even God's anointed, the ones God planned to, can also be the non-God wants them to because they mess up. It's not God's fault, it's ours. And so he moves him on and he chooses David, a man after God's own heart. You know the story. Interesting how David had God's heart. And what was God's heart? A heart of integrity? A heart of integrity, a heart of a king. When in 1 Samuel 16, Samuel went to find a king and he found David. A heart of a king, a heart of integrity, a heart of a warrior, and a heart of a worshiper. Those four things, I believe, make up the heart of a king. Here's the problem. 
there was a time when David took it back. And it's the second Samuel chapter 11, I think it is, where it says, in the, in the springtime when kings go off to war. David was a king, he didn't go to war. So he lost his heart as a king, right? War, he was no longer a warrior, he lost his heart as a warrior. Then David goes out and he sees Bathsheba, you know the story, and he, sees, he lost his heart of integrity. But the one thing he didn't lose is his heart of worship. And I honestly believe it's the very thing that kept him to serve the purposes of God. But what I've watched is majority of us lose our worshiping heart first. So David lost his heart of integrity, he lost his heart as a king, and he lost his heart of a warrior, but he did not lose the heart of a worshiper. And what happens? Nathan comes and says, there's a man who has nothing, and there's a man who has everything. And the man who had nothing took the one thing. Remember the story? And he said, I'll kill that man. And Nathan said, you're that man. And you know what, friends? He's the king. He didn't say, no, I'm not. He didn't say, I'm not the guy. No, you're not. Oh, you don't know me. You don't know the situation. I'm the king. I can do whatever. You know what he did? He didn't even say, gee, I feel bad for what I've done to them. This is what he did. Oh, God, I have sinned against you. And Psalm 51 is this incredible picture of repentance. And it's not, I'm sorry to the people like most. It's, oh, create in me a clean heart and cast me not away from your presence. And, and friends, this, this heart of worship that he didn't lose in it all. I'm telling you from my experience that I'm, I've watched the first thing to go is the heart of worship. When that's gone, you're gone. And when you don't take ownership, as we all know. And I know people who've taken ownership and say, yes, I have every excuse why I did it, but I'm taking ownership. They're serving the purpose of God today. Others who said, it's your fault, NCMI's fault, my pastor's fault, my wife's fault, they're not serving God. But I do want to say leaders, I've watched leaders lose their heart of worship first. I'm convinced you lose the worshiping heart. God, not man, God, you lose it all. You're not coming back. And I think it's a strategy of the enemy to get us to stop being worshippers. And I'm not saying worshippers here. I'm not one of these guys. I'd love to be. I mean, there's days I long to, not so I could do it here, so I could play the guitar at home. I have one in my office. I don't know how to play it. I've tried. I've had people teach me, and I'm terrible. I've got a terrible voice. Not as bad as TK, but I'm, <laughs> he has to be the worst singer I've ever met. But anyway, I'm just, but he still worships Jesus, and that's, so I'm not talking about this. I don't have that. I can't do that. But I am a worshiper. I'm a, I want to tell you, I believe I'm more of a worshiper than anyone up here. Because I love Christ. But I want to keep that heart of worship with all the stuff that comes. And when they sin, you deal with it. But don't lose your heart of worship. And I'm watching leaders in the church getting hit and pummeled from culture and people and situations. And they become about ministry rather than about worshiping God. You lose that. You finish, friend. It's a strategy of the enemy. And I can't give you your heart of worship and you can't give me mine. I have to contend for my heart to worship God. Take ownership. Deal with your stuff. If there's stuff that needs to be dealt with, deal today, friend. Take ownership. Stop blaming others. There's always a reason why it's someone else. It's your issue. Deal with it. Get your heart back to God. I've sinned against you. Who cares about man right now? I've sinned against you and I want this created me a clean heart, renew a right spirit within me. And don't cast me away from your presence. Your presence matters most. Not, I want to look good amongst man. Oh God, you're my refuge and strength. 
Are you there, friend? Hi. If you love me, you'll obey me. Cooperating church. God, may we not talk about a cooperating church. May we, in this room, cooperate with Christ. May we not do it out of duty. May we not feel obliged. May we fall in love and say, I want to serve you, Lord. I'm telling you, friends, this is going to be too hard for us as we take on our next season in America. If you're doing this out of duty and of obligation, you're going to burn out. And if you burn out, you're going to sell out. But if we can just, not emotion, have a heart to say, I love you, Jesus. Where you go, I go. Where you say, I do. What you have for my family, if it means they don't go to college, and it's being told, don't send your kids to college. I mean, send your kids to college. There's no future, no job without it. Yes and no. Not because we can't afford it, because I can't afford it. My kids are not going to college right now. I don't have money. But it's not, they better go to college to get a degree to. What is the will of the Father? Well, I'm their dad. Yeah, but there's someone more important. What does he want? Are you there? I mean, it's in every aspect of our lives, friends. Leaders, please, when you're buying buildings, please don't buy a building God didn't tell you to. I mean, seriously. It seems like God could be God. Is it God? Or ordaining leaders. Gee, well, this is all I have. I mean, I listen to guys, and I get the need, guys. We've done this, plenty. Gee, there's a real need right now. This is the, all I have, so I'm just going to pick this guy. Even if, why are you picking him? Well, he's faithful. What do you mean? Well, he comes to every meeting. We have prayer, he's there. He's early, and he sets up. He helps us carry the response. Man, that doesn't make you an elder. Just saying. I'm not saying raise the bar. Just ask God. Is this someone you want? And if it's not who he wants, then you're disobeying if it's someone you want and you do it. <laughs> okay. Augustine said, love God and do as you please. It's not control. Love him and do everything you want. Because if you love him, you're going to do what he wants. All right, are you there? Four more in love with Jesus, friends. I still believe lordship is revelation that is most needed right now. And I've been preaching this for a couple of years. I know, and some of you say, move on. I can't. I still believe when we get the revelation of lordship, who's Christ? Lord. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Salvation is not based on just a savior. It's a declaration of lordship. Uh, I, I tell the story when, when uh, you know, the scriptures tell us when Jesus, can you imagine being in that moment where Jesus is now sitting with his disciples for the last time? They're having this last supper together. And he says, one of you are going to betray me. Can you imagine being there? I mean, if it was just a normal person, I'd want to knock some heads off. But this is Jesus. And so one of you are going to betray. And you begin to look around and say, no, I mean, and is it you? Is it you? Is it you? And so one by one, they begin to say, surely not I, Lord. Not me, not I, Lord, not I, Lord. And then they get to the one who does betray him. And Judah says, surely not I, Rabbi. Teacher. 
Well, these other guys are saying, not I, Lord. But the one who does betray him doesn't see Jesus as Lord, sees him as rabbi, teacher. That's what I believe. It's easier to betray Jesus when he's not Lord in your life. This is not heavy and harsh. This is, if we're Christ-centered people, then we obey Jesus because we love him. That's why I want to grow in my love for Christ. So I can be more obedient to him. You know, can I just say that when, there are five voices in every decision that's major that we make, I think. Five voices. And I'm not trying to be weird and say all these voices, but the voice of God, the voice of your conscience, the voice of your reasoning, the voice of your flesh, and the voice of the devil. Because I, I listen to guys who've prayed about it. I've prayed about it, and this is what I've decided. Well, let me tell you, are you listening to God? Or reasoning? Or conscience? And sometimes our conscience is so seared, we're just doing what? Flesh or the devil. They don't always line up, friend. And this is a time where we better hear God. Not because I think so, because we need to. I still love that story. I'm just bringing it up again. It's a season to walk on water for us in this nation. It's no longer trusting what we can come up with. It's trusting God for what He wants to do. It's God. We've got to, in this season, embrace the impossible. God of miracles. Nothing is impossible. I'm not trying to motivate us in flesh, but we better step out of the boat. There's some walking on water for us people. But that story in Matthew 14 is a radical story. And I've preached on it many times until I realized I was wrong in what I was preaching. And you know the story. Let me just bring it up quickly. What happens is, Jesus says, go to the other side, get in the boat and go. And he goes off to pray and a storm hits. You know the story and he's taking a while. Let me just say this to you, friends. We've been taught that in a storm, if there's a storm, God's not with you. That's rubbish. Because they were in the sweet spot of what Jesus told them to do. Get in the boat and go. And in that boat going, the storm came. In the sweet spot of the will of God. We were taught, then God's not with you. Find out where the storm's not happening because that's where God is. What about Paul in, in prison? Have you ever thought about Paul in prison? I think regularly about him. In prison. And we all teach that worship is a place for breakthrough. He didn't know that. So they are locked up in prison, shackled. What do they do? Now, if it was me, I'd be like, Lord, this was your will. You told me to do this. I'm preaching your word to your people for their good. And here I sit in prison, shackled. Get me out of here, Lord. Surely this can't be your will, Lord. Surely. And we've been taught by the hyper-faith people, God's not in it because you're in shackles. You better fight. You know what he does? He looks with his mate and he says, let's just worship. Not so we can have a breakthrough. He didn't know that worshiping, in hindsight, we know that when he began to sing, the shackles fell off. But he didn't know if I begin to sing, the shackles will fall off. All he did was sing about the one he loved. And so he begins to sing. And as he's singing, and while they're worshiping, locked up in the purpose of God for doing the will of God, the shackles fall off. People get saved, the prison open. And I mean, now we preach theology. Worship is a place of breakthrough. Yes, but he didn't know that. He just worshiped because that's in his heart. In the sweet spot of the will of God, locked up. 
In the sweet spot of the will of God, Jesus said, get in the boat and go over. The storm hits. Friend, if you're in a storm today, you cannot begin to think you're not in the will of God. Can I prophesy, unfortunately, some storms are coming for the church in our great nation. We better stay the course. Jesus in the boat, or if he calls us out of the boat, he needs to call us. But don't get out of the boat because of the storm. And don't doubt you're in the will of God because you're facing some turbulence. Devil's lying to say you're out of God's will. Persecution is a sign of the kingdom. And so they, he's looking, and this is what seems to be Jesus in my, in, uh, or a ghost in, in Matthew 14. And what happens? Peter says, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come. He didn't say, Jesus, it's you, here I come. If it's you, Lord, tell me to come. What happens? He gets out of the boat. Listen, he walked on water. Can you believe that? I mean, we know Jesus did it, but so did Peter. We all mock him because he got out and he sunk. But he walked, didn't I? The other disciples are hanging in the boat. They're the losers, not the one who tried something. But he gets out and he walks. But he walked because Jesus said, come. He didn't walk because I'm coming. He came because Jesus said, come. Friends, this season requires us to step out and walk out on water, in spiritually speaking, in leading, in doing stuff that's not been done before, in relocating, in planting, whatever it be, step out. But yes, don't step out because it seems to be Jesus. Don't step out. Forgive me if the prophet this week comes to you and prophesies. You better hear Jesus. If it's you, tell me to come. What does he do? I'm coming, Lord. He gets out. And you know what? He's walking on water. I mean, this is phenomenal. Try walking on water. I've tried. And there are times I've been surfing where there were sharks and we literally could almost walk on water, but we didn't. I've never been able to walk on water. He's walking on water. And the Bible tells us that he begins to sink, not because he came out of the boat, because he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to look to the storm. That was his default. So I've been praying, God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Ears to hear Jesus and eyes to keep your eyes on Jesus. And that's not some cliche. Friend, this season requires us to have, what did you say, Lord? Not, I want this. Tell me to come and I'm coming. And I'm going to keep my eyes on you, not on the storm, on you. Even through the storm. Now you and I can live in what was? Dream about a great future. Wish we had it. A year's time, we get together again and hear about what God wants to Or we can honestly say, God, I want to hear. And I'm taking big steps out of the boat. It's time to walk on water. Because we've got a nation to take. We've got a nation to reach. We have 320 million people that we know of in this nation. We've got a job to do in America and from America. Even in a recession. Even when politics are, who knows what's going to happen. This, I'm telling you, church Rise up. God never gave authority to the president. He gave authority to the church. All authority belongs to Christ. He commissioned the church. Are you there, friend? Vote. Like I said, go vote. But don't worry. Don't let that dictate. Even nations. This nation is the most generous nation on the planet. And I can say that with an accent because I've been benefited by this nation in the nations that I've been born and lived in. I can say that. 
this nation, when there's a problem in another nation, we're the ones who come running to help. We're the first. People hate us, but we're the first to pay. If you need money, call America. It's true. You need, uh, you need uh, military, call America. Even if you hate us, you know we're going to help you. You know that in New Zealand, they don't have their... I'm going to get... Let me tell you their little secret in New Zealand. They, don't, they have, a, have a, a navy without a ship. They have no ships, yet they have a navy. And I'm a little irked by that. And so you ask them, well, what's going to happen? If like there's a war, I know Australia will help us, right? So then you talk to the Aussies and they're like, I oh, know we'll help, but America will come and bail us out. The whole world's looking, because they know this nation will come to their rescue. It's an incredible, it's an intrinsic in the very culture of this nation. And I praise God for it. But can I say this, friend? We need generosity to be back in the church. Because this nation is quick to help the world, but very reluctant as the church to help the church. It's like there's been so much abuse in the church financially that people are dead scared to actually give to the church. Yet it's the most, no doubt we're facing challenges, but it's still the richest nation in the world. Even if you haven't got a job, I want you to know this is the richest nation in the world. We've got some challenges. But when it comes to the church, it's like we don't trust the leadership. We can't give to God, but we'll give to the nations. I believe there's a fresh season upon us for not more money for the church, for God to give to the church more so we can have a greater impact in America and listen, from America back to the nations of the world. Not here am I send them, Lord. Not here am I use their money, Lord. Here am I whatever for the gospel. Why? Because I choose to love. Number three. I'm not going to get to 12 points. Relax. (coughs) This is a big deal, this point too. If you're a Christ-centered church, listen, is a confident church. Again, I know I've said this, but I love reading some of the old guys who've gone before and some of the stories of all that. I don't want to live in what was, but I'm stirred by some of the stuff that happened before. And I was reading the story again of, this, of Charles Spurgeon where he was invited to preach in some cathedral. And I love that he got nervous before he preached. It's a good thing. If you don't get nervous, those of you who preach, and you don't get nervous, not that I'm going to sound good, that I'm not going to represent God properly, then you've got a problem. You've become confident in your gift. You need to adjust and get back to being confident in Christ. And this man got a bit, he's nervous before this big preacher. And in those days, they didn't have microphones and all that. And so he said to the guys, would you just drop me off at this cathedral that I'll be speaking at tonight? And I just want to spend some time there just warming up and praying. So he gets on the stage. No one there, no sound, nothing. This huge cathedral. And he's standing and he's on the stage and he begins to just look around and begins to just warm up his voice and declare. And the first thing that comes to mind is John chapter 1 verse 29. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb who takes it. And as he begins to declare that, he hears this commotion up in the balcony. And he looks up and what's happened is there's a custodian, a cleaner, who's up there cleaning, who hears him declare one statement, one chap, one verse about Christ. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away. And this man falls to his knees and gets saved and confesses his sin and gets saved. Not by a good preach. Not by, this man didn't even know he was there. 
but by the power of the name of Jesus. Friends, we know it's become a cliche in the church again, the power in the name of Jesus. But I want to tell you, God is telling the church in America to reclaim the power of Christ's name. We sing there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Do you believe that? How do I know? Are the chains still on you? We need a revelation of where our power comes from. And yes, the Holy Spirit is vital and strategic, and I'm hoping to get to Him if we can. But this I want to tell you, the power that the church has is in the name of Jesus. Just read the Bible, you'll see it's in His name we have power. Again, I'm not trying to be kind of... uh, um, I'm trying to behave myself. I'm not trying to offend people. I'm holding back. But we have so many teachers and and conferences. And this is a conference. I'm for conferences. And we have many. But we go from conference to conference. From teacher who teaches us how to heal people and how to pray for the sick and all that. Which Paul never had, just so you know. Paul never went to a healing conference to learn how to heal. He wasn't taught, you sell your handkerchief and... He wasn't taught, this is the prayer you pray. Now, I know people who have been taught so well that they forget. They're too nervous. They've told me, Tyron, like, I want to pray for the sick, but I can't remember that covenantal prayer that I was taught. So I just bomb out and don't know how to do it, so I won't do it. Now, let me just tell you, you don't need no covenantal prayer to understand when it comes to praying for the sick. I'm all for learning about the covenant, and I want to tell you, God does heal, wants to heal, can heal, does heal. But there are times he just does it, and I just have to live with that mystery. But I don't have to understand that covenant to pray for sick people. (laughs) My power is not in my prayer. My power is in the name of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, just read the book of Acts. They didn't come with clever prayers. Now what was I taught? Oh yeah, this is how it is. That word, it's this. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. Now guess what? The man stood up and walked. Not in the prayer, not even, can I say, the faith of the person, the power in the name of Jesus. Are you there, church? We gather in the name of the church. Listen, no power. We gather in the name of NCMI, which I love, no power. We gather in the name of the ministry, no power. There is power in the name of Jesus. And we need to reclaim that power. And we need to lay hands on sick and see them recover. Not because of our power, because of the power in His name. Demons flee in the power of the name. Break chains. People's lives are changed. You know, friends, we shouldn't care who's leading worship. And we shouldn't even care who's preaching. And we are so good at choosing. That's why we don't tell you who's preaching, because you won't come. And they don't know who's preaching. Even I don't know who's preaching. We just go by the leading of the Spirit, we hope. But I want to know who's preaching because I want to hear that guy. We care so much about what we get. Rather, this I want to tell you, every time we gather, it doesn't matter who's preaching. It doesn't matter, but it doesn't. As long as we recognize the power in the name of Jesus. Can you imagine what can happen?
We need our confidence back, church. It's not in what we can come up with. It's in His name. Power in the name of Jesus. Number four, courageous. Give me a few more moments. Courageous. It's linked to courage. Uh, to confidence. Courageous church. I, I still marvel at Acts chapter 4. When it says, when they saw the courage of these men and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary, but they had been with Jesus. It's courage. We're going to need a courageous church in this season. Everything out there is against what we're about. Even our government's beginning to put the claws on it. It's true, friends. If you're serious about Christ, we've got some restrictions. It's going to take a courageous people. It's not courageous in ourselves. It's hanging with Christ. The more I know Him, the more courageous I can be. The more I understand the power of His name. We have gone into survival mode. We have. I mean, I think it's, it's part of the culture is to shut us up. You guys do what you want in your buildings, but don't come out there. Don't tell us what we can and can't do. Don't make us stand for truth. We don't make us stand for truth. Christ is truth. Right? And so I found this, as I've, I'll land with this one, but I found even with our children, I mean, we got into a place, forgive me, my two sons are sitting here, where we began to so fear with this culture that we began to pray protection over our boys. Lord, please, protect my sons from this culture. Protect them from what the world's showing them. Protect, and you know what we realized? We had gone into survival mode. It was teaching my kids and hoping for them to survive rather than to understand. God has anointed them to be alive in such a time as this. And we better be playing protection. But let me tell you, more than protection, the purpose of God. The Holy Spirit didn't come to protect us. He came to empower us to transform culture. So our parenting needs to move from protecting but to investing and strengthening them to go out and be the people God's called them to be. Not to fear the world, to impact the world. Now, now that's fine for parenting, but you know we do that in the church. We've gone into our discipling has become about surviving. We're teaching our people to survive the culture rather than to transform the culture. And so we have classes on how to be protected and how to stay away. Go read John 17. Jesus had some revelation. He said, you've been saved out of, but you've been sent into. We're not saved out to stay out. We've been sent in. We've got to revive the church to go back in, to be sent in. And if you think things are bad here, think about Babylon for a moment. And if you read the most quoted verse in the Bible to, to us who are sinners and saints, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, for you know the plans I have for you, says the Lord plans it. You know this, do you know that great text? Do you know the context of that is for the city and it's speaking to an exiled people that were exiled by God into Babylon, which was worse than America right now. And God said, build houses. Settle down, plant trees and whatever, marry and have such impact and increase. That's what he's saying. Play for the peace and the prosperity for the city to which I've called you. Because if the city prospers, you too will prosper. Who? God's people. He didn't say, hang in there and wait for me to come. Rescue you. You there, impact where you at and thrive. Don't survive the culture. Get amongst them and mix it up and let's get the job done so Christ can come back. 
I wonder what's going to happen on November whatever. What day is the election? November 6th. November the 7th. When you wake up, when I wake up, and that day, the one you didn't want or the one you did want or the one you... Whoever it is, I wonder what's going to grip your heart. Oh God, the nation's done. Oh God, we're finished. Oh God, Canada's looking good. I'm like, Lord, I've got an Australian passport. How about it? Australia's no better, I'm at. The point I'm making is, is that going to determine what happens for the rest of it? Or is it going to be, you know what? We're grateful. We will pray for whoever it is. We will vote if you're going to vote. But this I know. God is not caught off guard by those things. But some of us will be because we're not linked to this truth of we're not surviving and hanging on for Christ to return. We've got a job to do today. You can't wait for the prophets to prophesy. You can't wait for the preachers to keep you encouraged. You can't go to church to be encouraged to make it through the week. You've got to walk with Christ daily, friend. You've got to get your revelation. You've got to be willing. You've got to be obedient and say, Lord, more of you. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Not we've got to do more. God wants to do more in and through us. But it's got to be a people who are captivated by Jesus, cooperating. Courageous, confident, commissioned. Let's pray. I I, I can't tell you, you have to spend more time with Jesus, but I'm not telling you, please spend more time with Jesus. Do you know there's a direct correlation? You can't earn it. But the more you connect with Him, the more you walk with Him. (sighs) Let me tell you this, friends. You cannot hang out with Jesus and be arrogant. You cannot mix courage with arrogance. And the church is arrogant. There's arrogance in the pulpit. There's arrogance. I've got to say this. There's confidence, but you can't be arrogant. If you hang out with Christ, one of the signs that you connect with Jesus... It's not just your confidence. It's your humility. I can't have got up early this morning, which I did, and spend time with Jesus and come in here and tell you how awesome I am. All I can do is point people to how awesome Christ is. Because you get a real picture of who you are when you connect with Him. He has this wonderful way of exalting Himself and humbling us. And it's a good thing. So I want to challenge us not to do more, but to spend more time with Jesus. To go before Him on a daily basis. Connecting, taking your scripture, not reading for another message. and Not reading to get revelation. Reading scripture saying, I keep on asking the spirit of wisdom and revelation like Paul, that we may know Christ better. Teach me, Holy Spirit, as I read Scripture, who Christ is. Give me revelation of Christ. I want to dialogue with Jesus. I want to walk with Christ. I, like Paul, want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and to share in the suffering. This is practical and personal. And I can't rely on others for this truth. It's got to be mine.
And Father, I pray this morning that we don't go from here saying we know this. But may you grip our hearts again. May we not have slogans making Jesus known, knowing Christ. May it be branded in our hearts. And if it's not branded, would you brand it? And if it's not a priority, Father, would you, can I be bold enough to ask, remove the other priorities if we're not willing to change? Help us see what you want us to see. Not be cliche and never graduate from this, but make it about Christ on a daily basis. Our lives are about Christ, not our ministries, because our ministries follow our lives. Oh, Jesus, would you take your rightful place? Pastors in this room, to get passionate about Christ. Leaders, people, mothers, fathers, children. May the church in America love you, Jesus, enough to obey you. May we live according to your love language, loving you by obeying you. Teach us to love you more. More of you for our great King. We bless you this morning. Bring freedom. Free your people this morning. Liberty. Where we've put things on, cultural things, will they be taken away this morning? Where church things have taken the place of Christ. Where the cup has taken the place of the one who holds the cup. Would you paint that cup out and bring freedom? Nothing to distract. Not from our time, not from our prep time. May we not run after sermons. May we run after Christ. We ask this for your name's sake. Bless us as we bless you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time this morning.